Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In today's interview, I speak with John Maris, CEO of Solo Brands, maker of the incredibly popular and fast-growing Solo Stove. We covered a lot in this interview, including John's belief and passion for customer experience. This has motivated Solo Brands to make unintuitive moves like stand up their own in-house global warehouse and fulfillment platform. It's also inspired them to continually focus on D2C, which drives the majority of their revenue. John talks about how this closeness to the customer has helped them not only quickly iterate on their initial product, but has also inspired the creation of their other products. John talks about uh, their acquisition of other outdoor brands and the economies gained from leveraging their warehouse and fulfillment capabilities. I learned a lot from this interview, and so will you. Enjoy. Hey, John. Hey, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good to be with you, Ken. Yeah. How, how you doing today? Are you, where are you calling from? Doing great. I'm out in North Texas, DFW area. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think we we overlapped a little bit. You know, we we both lived here in Provo at the same time. You know, so when I saw you, I was actually I was like, he looks so familiar. So I'm sure I've seen you around. Yeah, I was out there for five or six years, and then and then my wife and I ended up uh, back in Texas. I grew up outside of Austin and okay. down here, and so we came back down to Texas and have been here for the last. Uh, 13, 14 years. And she's from Texas too? She's actually from California, Southern California, and then moved to Northern California in high school. So a little bit of both for her. And so I drug her down to Texas for the old, the old two-year trick. It'll be two years and I'll get you out to California. <laughs> and, and it's been uh, 14. So I guess it worked out, but she's loving it down here as well. I might uh, need to pull out that trick. I I grew up in Arizona, and I would love to go back to Arizona. So maybe I'll have it's, to try I that. I call it the old two year the old two year trick. So you might have to pull out <laughs> the old honey. Hey, we need to go down for a couple of years, and and uh, then we'll get back right here for you. And and next thing you know, they fall in love with it. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, why don't you uh, begin by by introducing yourself? Just tell us a little bit about your background, and you know what, what you do, how, and then maybe we can jump into your business and the inspiration behind it. Yeah, for sure. So my name is John Maris. I am the CEO of Solo Brands, formerly the CEO of Solo Stove, which is evolving pretty quickly. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit today. But 
My background is in a variety of growth-related, high-growth businesses, high-profit businesses, taking anything from digital media companies to glassboard manufacturing company to now outdoor lifestyle business through you know pretty hyper growth phases, single digit EBITDA multiples, and growing them to 20, 40, 50 million and, and beyond of, of EBITDA and, and well beyond 100 million of revenue across a variety of different brands that I've worked for over the, over the past seven or eight years. And so it's been a really super fun career for me. And, you know, people ask me all the time, how did you end up at, at Solo Stove? I was actually hired by the, the founders. I did not, uh, I'm not the founder of Solo Stove, but I was this about the seventh or so employee that started here and was hired by the founders who started this business in 2011 uh, as a lifestyle company where they were in love with e-com with the idea of selling products online. And they were in love with the outdoors. And they put those two things together uh, and built uh, this incredible brand, Solo Stove. And, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier that I grew up outside of Austin, Texas. I actually grew up on a 50-acre ranch. Spent most of my my childhood outdoors. Spent tons and tons of time around fires. And so when they called me about three and a half years ago and said, hey, we'd love to, to pay you to play with fire, I, uh, <laughs> I took the job immediately. That sounded like... Uh, that's, you know, like as a kid, everybody has their dream job. And most of the time it's like, I want to be a policeman or a firefighter. And I think at the time, if somebody would have said, you know, you could have a dream job where, where you get to play with fire and people pay you for it. I probably would have picked that over any of the other dream jobs as a kid, but there you um, go. Yeah. joined a few years ago and, and have, we've been being growing ever since. It's been a, a super fun ride. And uh, give us an idea of, of you know, of, of the size of the company, um, how many employees, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we are today about 250 employees and, you know, continuing to add add talent uh, across the organization when we find great people and, uh, you know, continuing to grow as well from, you know, really in all aspects of the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys were gracious enough to send me one of the, the solo stoves and I thought it was, you know, I, I didn't know what to think. Actually, initially I looked at it and I was like, you know, what's so great about this product? But I, I got to tell you, I whipped it out on a Sunday evening with my family. I've got five kids. We had the neighbors over and we were doing s'mores. It was awesome. That's when I kind of saw, okay, I think they're onto something. This, this is a great product. It's really amazing. You know, listen, I grew up on a 50-acre ranch. I probably sat around hundreds of fires as a kid. Mm-hmm. And that, that's probably not an exaggeration. And when the founders of Solo Stove said to me, you know, we've really kind of reinvented fire. I, I thought it was kind of, <laughs> is that what they said? I mean, fire has been around for a really long time. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. a pretty bold statement, right? I mean, we've made fire better is pretty bold. And then I experienced the solo stove the way you did last Sunday night for the first time. And it blew my mind for a variety of reasons. First off, it's a wood burning fire pit that burns nearly smokeless which is incredible. Anybody that sat around a fire knows that there's this something about the laws of the earth that if you're sitting around a fire, they, the smoke will find you no matter what seat you sit in. Everybody's played the, the musical chair game around the fire and, and yep. you know, have uh-huh. smoke in their face. And, you know, women hate sitting around them because their hair smells like smoke. And then they've got to go shower before they get to bed and all that kind of stuff. And these guys just created this incredible product there's no electronics in it but it's the way it's engineered and the way the airflow works it actually creates a secondary combustion where hot air which has smoke in it actually combusts 
this preheated air combusts and it takes the smoke with it and you end up with just very minimal smoke. And then on top of that, you add this portability component. You know, for me, when I was growing up as a kid, the reason I enjoyed hundreds of fires as a kid was because I lived on a 50 acre ranch. My friends in the right. city weren't enjoying fires every weekend or every night. They were in the city. What solo stuff allows you to do is live anywhere and truly can enjoy a campfire experience on your back patio or in your backyard anytime, anywhere. You can take it tailgating. You can take it onto your front on your front driveway. Uh, one of my favorite things to do, which you'll have to do now that you're introduced to this, is Halloween night when you're passing out candy to kids in your neighborhood. Just go mm -hmm. set your solo stuff out on the driveway. Grab a couple of chairs. It is the perfect night almost every year to enjoy just an incredible fire, handing out kids, you know, candy to kids and having a great experience. So it's, it's beautiful that way. It's portable, it's smokeless, and it brings that campfire experience wherever you want to take it, which, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, we did it on the front driveway and uh, I thought it was just pretty cool to have the neighbors just, you know, pop by and, you know, visit for a little bit. It was a good experience to get to know the, the neighbors a little bit more, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah, definitely a cool product. Does it burn warmer? It seems like there's something going on where, you know, we didn't actually have to put that much firewood in there, but it burned for a, like a longer time. And it seemed like the heat was like more concentrated or something. Is there something to that? Yeah. The, so this product has really amazing airflow. So a traditional fire, you know, obviously I'm a visual person and people can't see what we're talking about, but I'll try to describe it verbally. Mm -hmm. A traditional fire pit, let's just imagine like one of the bowl type fire pits that you can buy at Home Depot, right? hundred bucks. You put the fire, you put the wood in, you put the starter in or the kindling or whatever, and you start the fire and you get it going. And you, that the oxygen that's feeding that fire is really coming from the top of the wood, right? Because it's mm. sitting on a solid surface. Right. What's unique about the solo stove is that the holes at the bottom of the fire pit, which obviously people that are listening can't see, but, but you can imagine it. It has holes around the bottom, the base of the, the fire pit, and the wood is sitting on a, on a grate with a lot of holes in it. And there's a floating ash pan underneath that allows the air that's coming through those bottom holes to actually travel up through the bottom of the fire pit and fuel the bottom of the fire with oxygen, no different than the top. So you're actually getting oxygen to all sides of the fire. And because of the hot air, it actually becomes somewhat of a vacuum and it's sucking in oxygen through those bottom holes, which creates almost a furnace. It almost looks like there's a fan inside your fire pit when you're using it, especially as it gets hotter. And in this particular case, the, that, that oxygen that's coming from the bottom of the fire and fueling it is creating a higher fueled fire and, and ultimately leading to that secondary combustion that we're talking about, which creates a hotter fire, which you're, you're referencing. So as an example, a traditional fire is going to burn generally between seven and 800 degrees or so Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. A solo stove fire can burn up to 1400 degrees. So almost double what a traditional fire will burn at. So your intuition around it burning hotter is, is absolutely spot on. Yeah. It was interesting. It was like, you know, we didn't actually put that much firewood in here, you know, and then this thing's just blazing, you know. The coolest things about it is because of how hot it burns and because of that airflow. I don't know if you noticed this, but you can burn for a couple of hours and actually you end up with only like a cup of fine ash left over. So, you know, whereas you're used to a fire where you've got a couple of half burnt logs left over and a bunch of chunks and so on and so forth, this thing burns so hot and with such efficiency 
that all of the little particles of wood burn down all, all the way to fine ash and, and it, you know, in, in a general burn. And then you just got a very light cleanup afterwards. So it's a, it's a much cleaner product to use as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would add to the cleanup, it seems like it's something that you guys put a lot of thought into even just um, being able to put it away and store it, you know, and, and the little bag that it comes in and anyway, sold, sold me on the products. Definitely. That was, it's awesome. So that's so great. That's awesome. So let's actually go back a little bit. Why did these guys reach out to you, right? To come in and, and help them build this business? You know, what were you doing at the time? And what do you think the particular skill set was that they're looking for? Yeah, I've got a, a track record of hiring and building teams. And I have a track record of, of, of helping companies grow. That's really been my background. Before this opportunity at Solo Stove, now Solo Brands, the last three or four positions that I've held have all been you know, VP of sales or chief revenue officer type roles. So all very high growth oriented roles, you know, focused on driving new business. And you couple that with this team building experience. And what the founders were looking for me to do was to build a team and then really help this business, Solo Stove first, to reach its potential, to, to capture you know, the opportunity that existed in the marketplace. And it was a category creating uh, business. This, you know, if you would have asked me what the market size or the total addressable market for fire pits was, you know, three years ago when I started, I probably would have given you an answer that's much smaller than even our total sales today. And it's growing rapidly because again, we're creating this opportunity for people that maybe historically might think that a campfire in their backyard is kind of out of touch or, or not possible and, and helping them realize that you can take the campfire to your backyard, but you can also take it to your front yard like you did on your driveway. You can take it to the tailgate. You can take it camping. You can take it to the beach. You can take it to the lake, have it on the shore. You really can put it wherever you'd like and then have that experience. And so they hired me to really try to go and figure out what the opportunity really looked like and how, to, how we could go about acquiring additional customers and, and continue to grow the business. And that's really been the focus for the last several years. And so I've heard of, of the company just more recently and just, you know, sort of the high growth trajectory that you guys are on. What did it look like when you joined a couple of years ago? Yeah. So like I said, it was just a, a handful of employees. We had a single digit count for total employees in the building. And it was, you know, like it in a lot of ways, very similar to what it is today. It was a very scrappy business. We were outsourcing a lot of the services that we needed to function as a business. For instance, our fulfillment was being ex executed by a 3PL. Mm -hmm. And and then we very quickly started bringing, you know, different things in-house, including warehousing and fulfillment. We have a massive operation today. We do all of our warehousing and fulfillment ourselves. So we're able to deliver a much better customer experience than a traditional e-commerce business that is relying on somebody else to, to ship their product out to the customer. And, and then we've grown exponentially across mm -hmm. every function of the business from, you know, again, our marketing departments to accounting and finance, to logistics, supply chain, warehousing, fulfillment, HR. And, and it's been a wild ride building out the teams that's generated, you know, the type of growth that we've seen as business. I'm trying to think of, you know, sort of big picture, your strategic plan, you're tagged as a new CEO to come in, you know, and help them grow. You know, what was the playbook that you ran in order to, to start generating some of this growth? Yeah, it's, it's really, um, 
twofold. The first is I am a big believer and practicer of speed as a differentiator, as a competitive advantage. I truly believe that you're better to deliver at 80% and get twice as much done than to deliver at 100% and get half as much done. Hmm. And for a lot of people, that just is hard to, to, to believe. And it's hard to execute. People want to do a great job. And I do too. I just have a different philosophy about getting there because I, I love iterating. I'm also a big believer that uh, when you deliver at 80%, especially in today's world where, you know, people are, um, everything's just more transparent, right? Social media has made things more transparent. Technology has made things more transparent. I, I think that being vulnerable with your customers, being human, being raw, um, as long as you're doing it in the name of delivering a better experience for the customer actually ends up generating better results for you than being super polished and coming off really professional and almost intimidating your customers with your professionalism. So I tend to err on the side of 80% right, but twice as much output versus hundred percent right and half as much output. And that speed to market with ideas and execution has been a huge differentiator. And then the second one has been a, a relentless focus on people. And that the first people that we focus on are our customers and, and our employee base in, internally is you know right next to them. In fact, I feel like my employees are really my customer and our customers, Solostow's customers and Solo Brand's customers are the customers of our employees. And so treating my employees the way that I want my employees to treat customers is a big part of winning. And, and we've been very focused on building an amazing team over here that's then been able to go and generate incredible experiences for our customers. Yeah, I, I love I love those points. Do you have an example of using speed as a differentiator? You know, the audience, you know, is typically is some entrepreneurs as well. And they're looking at, at doing some of these things with their own brands. You know, I mean, I'm curious if you have an example, maybe around a product or marketing of how you were able to use that principle. Yeah, I mean, with products, it's, you know, it's just a matter of getting products to market faster and iterating more quickly. And that means failing fast, um, not making it perfect right out of the gate or trying to make it perfect right out of the gate, but getting your ideas to market and getting people using them and testing them so that you can then get to a viable product that you can launch faster. We've done that consistently as a brand mm -hmm. over the last several years. And then on the, on the operation side, I talked a little bit about bringing warehousing and fulfillment in-house, but one really good example of, of speed is just before the holidays of 2018, when our 3PL partner was not delivering from an experience standpoint or from a service level standpoint for our customers. And we went to them and said, hey, it's gotta be better. And their response was, sorry, this is as good as it's going to get. And, and so we responded with, well, if it doesn't get better, we're going to have to do it ourselves. And they said, good luck. They didn't think there was any chance that we would stand up an operation before the holidays to execute and, and ship product on our own. But we were able to pull that off and ultimately deliver a much better customer experience. But in the end, it actually ended up saving us a lot of money by doing the fulfillment our, ourselves. So not only did we get a better customer experience, but we actually saved a ton of money in the process. And today 
we operate an extremely successful warehousing and fulfillment operation uh, globally. So now we have six different warehouse and fulfillment locations across the country, Canada, Europe, and, and Mexico. And, and that's made us tremendously competitive and created some moats around our business that make it hard for others to compete with us. So I've seen you guys doing a, a lot of online advertising, and it seems like the, the direct-to-consumer you know, part of your business is pretty strong. Do you have any, anything that you could share around that and your, you guys' philosophy around direct-to-consumer in this day and age? Well, we love direct-to-consumer. That's our bread and butter. It's what we focus on. The majority of our business is done through our own websites. And that's a big differentiator because when you are interacting with your customers on your own sites, it allows you to communicate with the customer post-purchase in ways that you couldn't if they were purchasing your product from, say, a retailer like uh, Dick's Sporting Goods or Cabela's or Shields or something like that. Because you don't have access to that customer data you ultimately miss out on the opportunity to interact with them. Our model allows us to go back to the customer even before they've received the product for the first time with follow-up emails, how to make a great fire, what fuel to use, accessories that you might be missing. And ultimately, we can generate a better customer experience because of our relationship that we generate through our online direct-to-consumer platform, but ultimately our reach and the way that we touch our customers through our website. So it's been tremendous for us. It's it's a marketing channel that we're passionate about. We are in love with e-com and believe, frankly, that the next 10 years and beyond are going to be owned from a commerce standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, by brands that know how to go direct to consumer and deliver exceptional customer experiences uh, through their own websites and, and of course, email and social media and, and, and even text messaging now, which is becoming more and more popular. So we are very focused on direct to consumer e-com and we love interacting with our customers. In fact, that relationship with the customers, since we're, you know, this is a product focused podcast, our relationship with the customers through e-com heavily influences what we do from a product standpoint in the future. So all of the engineering and designing that we're doing that's on our product roadmap is influenced by the feedback we're getting directly from our customers because of our relationship with them through our own websites. So for anyone that's out there thinking about launching a new product or has a product and they're trying to get it off the ground, building a a cohort of consumers on your own site versus say going through a retailer or even going through Amazon who owns the customer on your behalf, it's so much better and differentiated to have a relationship with the customer so that you can ask them what's great about your product, what's not great about your product, what new products should you be thinking about designing that you haven't yet. That feedback is invaluable and then can really fuel kind of phase two, three and beyond of growth for any business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you have an, an example that comes to mind of you know maybe a particular piece of feedback that you felt um, really helped you guys uh, make a better product or maybe yeah, I mean, launch, product, launch a different every, product? Yeah, yeah. Every, I mean, every product that we have stemmed from customer feedback, every product we have, which is um, unbelievable, really, to think about. Just this year or late last year, we launched an accessory to our fire pit line called Lid, which is just that simple. It's exactly what it says that, you know, it's in the name. It's just a lid. It's a stainless steel lid that you can put over the top of your fire pit And you can do that when you still have warm coals in the bottom. So not with a roaring fire, but let's say you want to go in for the night and you've got your fire pit 
still going, you can throw the lid on and go inside. And because you've still got oxygen feeding it from the bottom, you're still getting airflow there and you can go in and keep, you know, rain out. Uh, but also just make sure that you're, you know, you're not leaving an open fire, you know, susceptible to the outdoors before you go in for the night. And what's also cool about it is it doubles as like a little side table or a little mm-hmm. coffee table in between chairs. If you've got, you know, sitting outside, that product has done tremendously well for us this year, all because a customer just gave us the idea of, hey, how about a hard cover for the fire pits that would allow us to go inside? It was just a pain point for the customer to be able to go inside when they still had warm coals in the bottom of the fire pit. And we were able to solve that for them. And of course, in exchange, customers were willing to open their wallets and and engage with the brand again and felt even better about it because we were able to deliver that product at a good value. Yeah, you typically think about this iteration concept, you know, in the world of sort of software, you know, that which is kind of the world that I live in, right? Is release early and then just continue to iterate on your product and and get that feedback as quickly as possible. You know, typically is 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 harder for physical product brands to be that nimble, right? And maybe they yep. can't get to the speeds that you know, like a software company can iterate on. But I, I still think that there's a lot, and I think you guys have shown this, there's a lot that you can do to iterate and, and apply that feedback that you're getting at a much faster clip. So anyway, I love that principle of, of, of speed, you know, and using that as a competitive advantage. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, what about the future? You know, so you guys are growing really quickly. What's what's next for, for solo brands? You know, we just earlier this year, realizing that we have built something pretty special with our fulfillment platform from an operation standpoint and with our expertise around e-com and, and going digital and directing business through our own websites, we actually started looking for acquisitions. And we have been fortunate and lucky enough to partner with and acquire three brands this year. In May, we, we purchased Oru Kayak, which is an incredible product. We could have a whole separate uh, podcast about but this is an origami kayak. It folds to the size of a briefcase, but weighs only 20 pounds. You can throw it on your back like a backpack, go mountain biking with it, or throw it in the back of a cab if you live in a city and go anywhere you'd like and, and just unfold it. And it becomes this hard, rigid kayak, almost as durable as a hard kayak would. So it's portable like an inflatable kayak, but rigid like a, a, a normal kayak that you're used to seeing you know, mounted on the top of a Jeep. And just incredible, based in California, patented technology and a brand that we're super proud to own. So something to keep in mind for the listeners out there. Right after Oru, just a couple months later, we purchased the pioneers and innovators around the inflatable stand-up paddleboard space, a company called Isle, which is based in San Diego. And they manufacture, design, manufacture, and sell both hard and portable inflatable paddle boards and surfboards. And that business is incredible. A huge, a hugely successful story. But one of the funnest things about those guys, it was founded by two surfers in 2004. They, right. they only sell online on their site and on Amazon. But their fulfillment strategy early on before, you know, there was a robust network across the country to move large bulky items once e-com took off and Amazon took off, they were actually loading surfboards onto the bottom, the cargo area of Greyhound buses from San Diego and shipping them across the country, telling the customer, hey, just go down to the Greyhound station and look in the cargo area, your products on the bus. 
and that's kind of how they got that product. Again, you talk about going back to this theme around speed and nimbleness just shows the ingenuity that entrepreneurs can have at getting their product to market. And then right after IELT, we actually purchased an incredible apparel brand, apparel lifestyle brand called Chubby's. And if you're not familiar with Chubby's, uh, you ought to check, check them out. But they reinvigorated and brought back the men's shorts of the 70s, the five and a half to, to eight inch inseam men's short swimsuits, the most incredible swimsuit you'll ever own, as well as workout gear. And, and now I've gotten into shirts. So now we are a platform of lifestyle brands and products, starting with Solo Stove and then Oru Kayak. Isle the paddle boards and then Chubby's for outdoor lifestyle apparel. And, and we've now elevated the brand beyond just Solo Stove. The Solo Stove brand, of course, still exists and so do the others. But I now operate as the CEO of Solo Brands, which is the, the parent company that, that houses that group of brands or that family of brands. So it's the idea then to bring the warehousing and uh, fulfillment capabilities all within one roof or, or what, what's That's the exactly there? right. That's exactly okay. right. So there are s- several economies of scale that kind of are brought to, ba- brought to being through this platform play. And one of those is the fulfillment opportunity across all of the, the brands. Again, the byproduct, the outcome is you end up saving a ton of cash by doing it yourself. But the focus and the reason we do it is to deliver a great customer experience. Nobody will ever care about taking care of your customers as well as you do. And by doing the fulfillment ourselves, we cut out the 3PL or the third-party logistics companies that are typically doing fulfillment for e-commerce businesses. And we do it ourselves and get that product directly to the customer as quickly as possible. And by doing so, of course, create you know, lovers of our brands. And, and as we create lovers of our brands and loyalists and followers, they share the brands with their friends. And, and the next thing you know, you're generating referral business and your business starts growing exponentially. So it's been, it's been a, a wild ride and a super fun one for us as we think about partnering with these additional lifestyle brands and bringing them into the, to the, the solo family. Yeah. So, you know, with warehousing and fulfillment, obviously it's not a light thing to stand up, you know, um, that capability uh, in-house. Uh, and I'm wondering what your opinion is on, times when maybe it makes sense to go with the 3PL and then how you know that, hey, maybe this is something that we need to think about bringing in-house. You know, how, how would you encourage brands to think about that? My philosophy now, I, I think it's changed over time. My philosophy now is that every brand should be doing it themselves as long as you have the scale to justify the investment, but you can start small. I mean, if you only need 2,000 square feet, then only get 2,000 square feet. If you need 10, go get 10. Today, we have about 700,000 square feet across across the world for our warehousing and fulfillment needs. And we've, of course, scaled that over time. We didn't start with that much space. I am passionately behind the idea of taking great care of the customer. And for e-commerce businesses, I think it's very hard to do that well without building it yourself and being mm-hmm. in control. That's how, I, that's how I, I strongly feel about it. We honestly did it initially, not even thinking about what the impacts were going to be, we were willing to make the investment and we thought that it would be an expense to do it ourselves. We thought it would cost us. It just turns out that if you do it really well, not only do you get better customer experience, but you actually can save money from the fees that 3PLs are charging you. Because again, if you can do it as good or better than the 3PLs doing it, 
then maybe you could even do it more efficiently. And 3PLs aren't operating at a loss, they're making a profit. So if you can bring that profit back into the door for your own business, that it allows you to reinvest back into your customer, whether it's additional product development or just generating better customer experiences by making investments into customer service and supply chain and other areas that impact the overall uh, customer journey and customer happiness with your brand. And that's what we've seen. So, you know, if I were talking to another entrepreneur, I, I would be encouraging them to think about it. And you can do it scrappy in the beginning, right? You do it out of your own garage until you have the volume that you need to go and get something further or, or, or bigger. But a lot of people just get overwhelmed with the idea of, you know, as their business is growing and they have more units, like I need to go find a 3PL. But what if instead of hiring a 3PL, that's going to cost you, you know, $40,000 a month to uh, fulfill your products, you hire a warehouse manager for $8,000 a month and have them dedicated to, to fulfilling your products. So it's just a different philosophy, but one that, that we believe in heavily over at Solo Brands. Okay, awesome. Well, I know that you've got another call here. Just want to wrap up. Let's uh, switch over to the quick fire round. I've got four questions for you and just give me a quick answer. What's uh, one tool or resource that you feel has helped you a lot in your career? We use, we use Basecamp at, at Solo that I am a big fan of. It's just an inner office communication tool and mm-hmm. I found it to be super helpful. Awesome. What about a book that you can recommend to the audience? My favorite book is Whatever It Takes. And it's Stephen Schwartzman wrote it, founder of BlackRock, and it's incredible. Highly recommend it. Okay. Uh, I haven't read that one. I'll have to look into it. What is one piece of advice that you would give to your 21-year-old self? Read more books. Nice. And is there somebody in your field of work or another entrepreneur or somebody that you look up to that you'd love to take to lunch? I'd love to go to lunch with Jeff Bezos, for sure. I wouldn't consider him to be a peer of mine by any stretch, but that guy fascinates me. I'm a pretty big uh, dreamer, and I think I may have met my match with with him. So um, (laughs) that would be pretty fun. Nice. Well, if somebody wanted to reach out to you or connect uh, with you or your products, you know, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So solostove.com, solobrands.com gives you access to link into any of the brands in our platform. So for Oru Kayak or Isle or Chubby's, you can find all of our brands, including solostove at solobrands.com. And then you can link over to those sites and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Well, awesome. Hey, John, thank you for taking the time today. This has been awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks a bunch. See ya. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for Physical Product Movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening.